Welcome back, Literary Slummers, to another episode of Shelf Aware, the podcast where we read books outside of our comfort zones. I'm Em. And I'm Anna. This week on Shelf Aware, we are reading the second book in our unit on flurry flurry sleuths. Flurry sleuths. That's flurry sooths. Yeah, the flurry sooths. Um uh, which is a unit that M has brought to us. We read more of a classic example of uh, one of these books with The Cat Who Could Read Backwards by Lillian Jackson Braun. Mm. Um, so what what did you think um, about this one? Because I know what I thought. <laughs> well, <laughs> it wasn't to my taste. <laughs> Certainly. Yeah. No, this uh, did not age well. I would say that's one point against it, mm-hmm. uh, for sure. Just in general, I, as someone who historically on this podcast doesn't like mysteries. Um, this was the worst type of mystery for it you. It took so long to get to the mystery. Yes. Number one, at like 40%, I was like, is no someone going to bite it or what's going on? Also, took a very long time to get to the cat. Yes. Just both of them. And the granted, two this is main like attractions. The first book in like a 20 or 30 book series, but still. You got to you got to attract your audiences up front. Right. You're promising me cats and their reading habits and yeah. you are just giving me the ins and outs of a newspaper. And I'm not saying I wouldn't want to read that, but I wasn't prepared for it and so it was very disappointing yes i agree um i the the weird thing about this series is that the author wrote the first three books in Mm. like the 60s and -hmm. then took a decades long break um i think wrote the 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 rest of them throughout the 80s um and possibly i think all the way up until her death in the 2000s um yeah it looks like the last book was published in 2007 um so it's got like it's 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 weird because I think my memory of this series is mostly the books that were being published at the time I was reading them. Mm, uh, see, so you read you've read you've read this before. I've I don't know if I've read this one. I was young. I was much younger. I was like okay. probably ten, and I think I was reading the books that were being published in the nineties and two thousands. Gotcha. This definitely has like a very like. I don't know. It, feel, it felt very of the time, right? It was published in 1966, um, and it was kind of like a critique on the, uh, I don't know if I want to say like the whole beat in it, because it was all varieties of like people, purveyors of art, right? Um, but I don't know. It, it, seemed, it seemed like it was satirizing a lifestyle of the period, um, and then was like, oh, and then someone died. My main thought, yes, was that this felt like the sort of book that might have been enjoyable if it was from an insider perspective. Like, mm-hmm. the author had some sort of connection to the art world. I don't know if she did or not, but uh, the it could have been interesting as a critique if that was the case. Mm-hmm. But what it felt more like to me, and this might be too much of my modern sensibilities being projected onto this, but it felt more like the boomer parent sitting and being like, I just don't understand art these days sort of yeah, thing. Yeah. 
And it was very off-putting. Yes, absolutely. It was definitely like this is because yeah because this author was born in 1913 so it was definitely like look at the younger generation what are they even doing with their lives look how every media but modern art is stupid look how every media after i turned mm, 20 or so sucks you know it's which it was very much like can't believe these hippies (laughs) yeah and just in general a lot of um not great commentary towards certain lifestyles lifestyles if mm-hmm. you know what i mean mm-hmm. um that i found troubling uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I, I would not say it was a slam dunk for me no um but you know it it's an older version a uh, yeah. classic version of this this trope or this subgenre, i suppose uh mm. and beloved by some indeed <laughs> i'm sure that someone, someone somewhere loves someone this. Somewhere likes this. I'm I'm looking at the Wikipedia page for this author, Lillian Jackson mm-hmm. Braun, and apparently she is like notoriously, uh, or she was notoriously private about her her private life. Obviously, um, uh, but so there's not a lot of information about her. But there's this line that says she began her writing career as a teenager, contributing sports poetry to the Detroit News. <laughs> see okay it tickles my funny bone there like she's out here like take me out to the ball game that was her (laughs) this is maybe a little misogynistic in some ways of me i don't know that i don't think women could suck in this manner and obviously women can do anything they want including suck including suck um but (laughs) to me the part in this book where they're like discussing a mysterious person and they're one of the characters is like i think it's not a real person i think it's several different people writing you know under a pen name or whatever mm-hmm. kind of felt like they were trying to get ahead of those accusations because i was like at some points i was like i don't think a woman wrote this you know just like, of the... did a women woman write some of these things about other women right it was really i mean i guess she's a real trailblazer proving that women can be shitty in writing about women as well you know yeah but the sports thing made me think of that which is also misogynistic of me for not believing that women could write sports poetry i just really i only know the one sports poem it's that casey jones one i don't i didn't realize there was a whole like need for sports poetry on a regular basis i don't know that i've ever heard of sports poetry as a genre perhaps something we need to look into in the future maybe yeah uh maybe do a micro unit on sports poetry we'll read like four poems uh (laughs) and then watch the disney animated version of the casey jones one um Anyway, uh, so normally up at the top of the episode, we would talk a little bit about like, what is the genre? Um, we all we've recently I wasn't there for it, but recently M and our friend Brad did an episode on cozy mysteries and talked a little bit about the cozy mysteries subgenre there. Um, so just like a slap an animal on that. So basically there is the um, the detective it's not all it's not it's like an amateur sleuth usually so in this book in the cat who could read backwards uh jim is a journalist um others like they will work at like animal sanctuaries or they'll have a farm or they'll be a veterinarian but usually uh they are an amateur sleuth who has a pet or other kind of animal sidekick that does the detecting 
either as we saw in doggone it in a way where the animal is intelligent and can communicate with at least the audience um or is in the case in this book just like a cat who seems to be really good at pointing out things but it's never explained how or why that happens um and um sometimes they're magical as we have seen uh and way way deep cut into the hate read uh uh episodes there was a ghost cat um and then i've i've discovered some others today that were like they're just magical talking cats or like a pet psychic or you know like sometimes there's just like a Mm. paranormal bent to them um so so there's really not a lot to say about like what is the subgenre? So instead, what I've done today is I've prepared a fun little game for us to play. <laughs> uh, kind of based on a game that you and I played the other night where I would say the title uh. of a romance book and you would tell me what you thought it was about. This one is, I'm going to give you the title of a furry sleuth mystery and you're going to mm-hmm. tell me what animal you think is the detective. Fantastic. I love this. Okay. <laughs> I found a lot of these uh, on Kindle Unlimited, um, a few of them from my own library, and some of them more traditionally published. Uh, so if any of it sounds exciting to you, please read them and let me know, because there are a couple on here that I was like, this sounds wild, and I do need to dis- dis- uh, <laughs> explore this. But okay, so we're going to start off a little bit easier, and it's going to get progressively a little weirder. Okay. Um, so the first one, Claws for Concern. A uh, cat. Yes. Charlie Harris and his Maine Coon cat Diesel are embroiled in a new mystery when a cold case suddenly heats up. It's I, weird how I associate claws with cats specifically more than dogs. Yeah. You know? They I, both yeah, have them. The stereotype of that. I guess yeah. cats are more dangerous in that sense. Like dog well, maybe, claws, they usually use their teeth. Yeah. And also like cats can retract them. So it seems more mm, um, mm, um, mm. personal when you get clawed by a cat. That is, you know? Yeah. Very fair. <laughs> um, I also just, I I love how much uh, how many puns you can find in cozy mystery titles. I don't know mm. what it is about the genre that just draws authors to that nomenclature, but I I love it. Uh, so a lot of these are are puns. Fantastic. Um, tailing trouble. Okay, I'm just gonna go with dog on that just because mm-hmm. it feels like we're at the top. It probably got to get a dog in here real quick yes the fur flies as ali noah gramps and domino race the clock to fetch the felon it will take all mm. of their canine canniness to comb out the twists and curls in this wild and wooly case there's a lot of puns in that one uh <laughs> karma's a bitch well that would also be dog it right? is <laughs> yes <Okay. laughs> this one darwin winter's reluctant pet psychic has no choice but to use her gift to help collar the killer she adopts the victim's grieving mastiff karma and with the dog's help, tries to piece together the event of that fatal night. That also seems to kind of be a thing in some of these of, like, the animal belongs to the victim. Yeah, and then they just they just take it. And just keep it. It's <laughs> finder's keeper's rules. I guess. <laughs> and the animals always always seem fine with it. Um. Okay. Bells, tails, and murder. Bells, tails, and murder. Mm-hmm cow no i do like where your mind is going but this one it, this one was also a little bit of a oh, trick. cat uh lita parker leaves her soulless corporate hustle in atlanta and moves to england with her talking dog and cat companions oh. dickens and christy yeah uh, and then her housekeeper dies <laughs> 
Tragic. Tragic. Uh, whiskers and lies. I'm waiting for these to not be a cat or a dog. It we'll sounds cat. <laughs> it sounds cat. If it's not cat, it's rat. Mm. These are magical cats. Okay. When George's litigious in-law is later found dead and the friendly baker is implicated, Kathleen is eager to help prove her innocence. And her magical cats are named Hercules and Owen. One yeah. is like, Hercules, I started off really strong. Uh, and then the other one, she's like, I don't know. He looks like an Owen. <laughs> I mean, that is a thing with cats where you is have it? one that's a normal person name and then one is a weird ass name. <laughs> For instance, my it. cats, which are named Addy and Butternut Squash. <laughs> oh, Squash. We love him. <laughs> um, copycat killer. Okay, well, it's a cat. It's just a cat. When a double a homicide is strikingly familiar to a 20-year-old cold case, Detective Nate Slater and his canine partner... Hi, Boo. I tricked you! Boo! <laughs> okay, here, here come some non-cat or dog ones. Um, okay. Dearly departed. Dear. <laughs> this is making me laugh already. <laughs> Santa himself is on the Hot hook reindeer. for a terrible crime. It's all hands, paws, and hooves on deck to keep Clawsville running while solving the mystery. The reindeer may hold the key to bringing Christmas in for a landing on time. But that sounds like maybe there's also a dog involved because it's paws. Could like it, be. It feels it like was... maybe... It the, was just a reindeer on the cover. Yeah, but. like the reindeer committed the murder, maybe, and the, the dog is the one doing the solving. I don't know. Coming to shelf-aware this, this holiday season, Santa murders, Santa murder books. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, magic's a hoot. Owl. Yes. Um, when this one, this one to me, <laughs> I read the description of this one, and I... It is a girl who has been discharged from the witch military where they all wear cute little pink berets. And then she comes home. Her mother is the high priestess of the goddess Athena. And uh-huh. she has a divine talking owl named Archie, which I'm assuming is short for Archimedes or something. Yeah, you would think. Um, I was like, that one That one is absurd. I do I do. Want There's to a that. lot. There's a lot going on in that. There is a lot. Say. Uh duck duck danger ducks no it's geese angela atkinson lives a peaceful life in the sleepy town of hummings hollow with her best friend and dog border collie ruff mcpaw got you again god damn it again (laughs) okay but there's probably ducks in it there is i think it was like she has a hobby farm and it's something Mm. to do with ducks yes uh and the last one gertrude and the sorcerer's gold Gertrude and the Sorcerer's Gold. <laughs> okay. And it's not a cat or dog. Mm-hmm, correct. Okay. What animals like gold dragons? That's not a real life animal, though. If it's a dragon, this is entrapment and you have to tell me. <laughs> it's not a dragon. Okay. <laughs> though I did um, find I did find a mystery novel. Oh, what was it called? I can't remember, but the premise of it was that dinosaurs still exist and they yeah. disguise themselves as humans in these latex suits. And one of them is a detective and he goes around solving crimes and I can't remember what the title was. So I will be needing to read that. Absolutely. Um, Coming to shelf aware this holiday season. <laughs> A reverse scaly. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. Gertrude Gertrude's, and the Sorcerer's Gold. Gertrude and the Sorcerer's Gold. 
Mm-hmm. What animals like gold? Is it an animal that likes gold? No, not necessarily. Okay. Is it an animal that is associated with magic? No. Okay, so this is all just red herrings. Is it a red herring? There is a sorcerer on the cover of the book, but it, it was confusing because it seemed to take place in a very contemporary world, so. Huh. <laughs> Pig. Gold fever strikes Seal Island when Gertrude, a pot-bellied pig, and her cohort, <gasps> a Jersey cow named Peaches, <laughs> set the sleepy island ablaze when they stumble <laughs> upon a gold coin, rumored to be part of a rogue prophet's long-lost loot. I'm so impressed you got that one. Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, dog and cat are definitely the most popular choices because that those are people's pets. Yeah. yeah. Bunny is also kind of popped up sometimes. But honestly, if you find any book that doesn't involve um a a a household pet or what we would consider normal household pets then that's that's a rare one so you should read it i can see like obviously it makes sense that cats and dogs pop up a lot i'm surprised there weren't more horses because i feel like there were okay but they were like the horse didn't do anything it was like these women Mm. rode horses is the the only ones i could find i found one that was like absolutely totally flippant with its title it was horsing around with murder and i was like you keep that <laughs> put the some disrespect. more respect on the victims the please. Disrespect. <laughs> but she was like i i have a horse rescue thing mm. so no i, I like, want no. the horse i mean like i want the horse already to solve murder that's yeah. already a thing that like cops have horses sometimes sometimes so you would think one of them would talk to their horse and it would one talk of them back. is a really good at solve good at crime solving horse you know you would think well fascinating thank you for that uh look absolutely at- it was fun i won't tell you which ones i pulled from my own library <laughs> you'll have to guess that on your own listeners <laughs> uh but yeah, so that that's basically the genre. Uh, <laughs> would you recommend this book to anyone while we're before we transition to what we did like reading? I don't know, little weirdos who like reading old mysteries. Yeah, um, yeah, <laughs> this one was really dull. It was short. It wasn't. It wasn't hard to read. No, it was. Yeah, and <laughs> I don't know uh, if you can get an audiobook version of it. Um, you know, it's only a few hours, so. Did you get the audiobook? I found, I wanted to. I, I didn't, oh. I couldn't find it anywhere except for on YouTube. And the person who uploaded it on YouTube added this like really annoying backing track to mm. it so that, you know, copyright stuff. And I was like, I can't listen to this. <laughs> My library had a copy, but it was a physical audiobook, like a CD. Oh. And I was like, I don't oh. even have the means. Like, I suppose. Where a would I put this? <laughs> Yeah, just DVD player. That doesn't seem like a thing that I want to bother with. Yeah, yeah. Don't have those Sony Discmans anymore. Yeah. Um. Okay. So, what else have you been reading aside from I've been reading the titles of cozy mystery (laughs) books? Honestly, that was enough for me. No, I read actually a debut novel that came out very recently to. Uh, quite a bit of hype for the genre. Sorry, I'm pulling up the title now. Um, I read a book called The Golden Spoon by Jessa Maxwell. Hmm. Um, it is basically like if there was a uh, British Bake Off in America set in like someone's big family estate in Vermont mm-hmm. uh, and then someone died. 
Um, I will say the mystery is more like, you know, someone dies, but you don't you that's also part of the mystery until the end. So I kind of liked that format of it. Like you didn't know who was going to die or who was going to do the killing uh, until the end. And so a lot of it was just kind of like a, a, a bit of a, a drama on the set mm. of a baking competition. So, you know, if you like either of those things, I thought it was pretty good because um, it wasn't like the whole thing wasn't like, let's solve the mystery. So hmm. might be one for you, Em, if you're in. Yeah, I might check that out. What about you? Um, I haven't been reading a ton the last few weeks, but I did check out um, a couple audiobooks and specifically the one I want to recommend, which is Spear by Nicola Griffith, which is like a retelling of the uh, Arthur myth, specifically Sir... Percival, maybe? I think it's Percival. It's a different... It's like the Welsh version of the name in this book, so I can't remember specifically which one it is. Gotcha. But I also, because it's uh, there are queer elements, and anytime there's queer elements in a book, I like to check to see if the author might be publicly out um, and kind of like confirm if it's an own voices thing or not. Mm-hmm. Not that other people can't write queer books, but, uh, you know, I like to, to know yeah. if, if if possible. Um and I read Nicola Griffith's like backstory and it's fucking wild. Like really? her backstory yeah. and not just like her life history. Yeah, her backstory. <laughs> um it's really wild. Like she uh came she she's from Britain originally uh-huh. and she ended up coming to the US. She was like in a band at one point. She ended up coming to the US because um uh, her partner lived in the US and she was like the first open open lesbian to uh uh immigrate to the u.s essentially on this like specific type of of uh visa which is um they couldn't get a a like marriage green card sort of visa because she couldn't get married to her spouse because they were two women um so she she ended up applying for like uh i can't remember the name of it but it's like one for if you bring immense worth like it would be uh, it would be good for the u.s to have you based on your your notoriety or output or whatever give us prestige so so she wrote her first book in order to apply for that visa wow and it worked like she she had written other stuff but that was like the first published one or whatever that's and it worked and she got into the u.s that way and that's wild like really wild i know right i was like damn very cool in 1993 Um, no that was her award yeah, it was 1991, I 1991, think. Yeah. Yeah. And that was, like, at the point of they had just made it, so it wasn't, like, fully illegal to immigrate to the U.S. as a queer person because of, you know, the AIDS crisis and whatever. Right. There was a lo- there were, like, laws specifically banning queer people from immigrating. Um, and I think those got, like, mainly repealed in the very early 90s or late 80s. I mean, that's wild that uh, she was just like, let me just... Write this Let book me just real, real quick. quick become a For love. author. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, but yeah, it was it was a good book. I, I if you like uh, retellings, it was a good one. So you know, I love a good Ethereum retelling. Yeah, maybe that's a unit we should do. I don't read really. Oh, also, I don't. Them, I, like I don't think I said this in my description, but uh, Sir Percival in this is a woman disguised as a man. So ah. also very fun. Yes giving um oh my god uh alana alana tamora pierce yes yes. 
vibes. Yes, I could not remember her name. <laughs> and I was you like, know, sometimes, the right one? sometimes I think, oh, I should go back and reread that series that I loved so much in my youth. But then sometimes I remember the age gaps that were so okay in the 80s and yeah. definitely aren't now. And I'm just like, mm, maybe I should just pass <laughs> so yeah. I don't sully my memory of it. I feel like I reread the first series mm-hmm. of Alana as an adult and I felt like most of it aged well but it was the mm. age gap I was like she's the like age 12. gap is she's like and 12 he's and adult he's like 17 near adult men then I guess yeah I think George is technically 17 when they first meet and John is John is a little more age appropriate because he's like four years older I think and they age up by the time any of them are yeah they're all up. adults when but they... still it's like wow and but then in the second series that age gap is like she's 13 and he's like a full adult and they do get together when she is like 14 no. so like that's a lot no. to process Tomorrow. I know I Otherwise, know it's... we love you but like oof you know, you live and you learn. You stop writing. You live, you learn. <laughs> you stop writing gross you underage stuff. To hopefully, children. <laughs> not writing about these relationships for them. Oh. Um, awesome. Did you ever reread the uh, the is it the Tower the Circle Magician the Circle of Magic series? Circle of Magic. Yeah. Did you ever read those or reread those? I guess. Yeah, I I read and reread them. Uh-huh. As I wonder a if those are good because those were like my those are the Tamara Pierce ones that I kind of like started i kept up with the series up until will of the empress which was like there's a real thing with tamora pierce of the harry potterfication of her books where Mm. you can see when harry potter was published because suddenly the books get super long um and will of the empress was post that and it's a huge chunk of a book and it was fine but i wasn't like blown away by it okay um and i know she's come out there's been some more since then and you know occasionally maybe one day i'll dip back in but can you guys tell we're putting off talking about the book yeah it's a boring book (laughs) 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 oh all right we'll do it though we'll do it let's do it we'll do it get into it as much plot as there is to discuss Sorry, I got nervous because my audacity was in the background and I just had like this sudden mm, mm. horrible feeling. I wasn't recording, but I am. It's I, fine. I always get that feeling anytime I can't see it. Yes. It's the object permanence. Yeah. Really? <laughs> <laughs> it suddenly turned off by itself. I don't know what happened. I mean, that's happened to us before, though. So we have like, lost audio before. Yeah. And only most of the time was it my own fault. Yeah. One time we did have to record almost re-record almost a whole episode because I just didn't. <laughs> I just didn't hit record ever. Amazing. Uh, I think it was one of the early Warrior Cats ones, too. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. Anyway. I also liked the, those episodes where I accidentally deleted all my audio from it. And then those had were to, really like, good. Recobble it together from whatever the what audacity God's deigned yeah, to give you. <laughs> what I could, like, rescue from the. Because the, it was like I was cleaning out my audacity st- stuff and deleted and then deleted from the recycling bin like a bunch of shit mm. including stuff that we hadn't put out so yet. kind of um, even amazing you had most yeah. of the audio amazing really so. just a plus for me <laughs> okay cat murder cat murder so <laughs> in these books we have our protagonist jim quillerin who is a journalist who has moved to this small anonymous midwestern town to get a job with a new paper. We get the sense that he is starting over maybe after some sort of scandal that required him to leave his former posting. 
but he used to do like a crime beat was kind of his thing um but he won now, awards hmm? he won awards he won awards it. he was a, yeah he was well known but hard on his luck now um getting a job at the flux paper uh doing the uh art critic no he's not at the art critic but he's like on they put him on the art scene where the art scene in this town is so <laughs> it's the whole town <laughs> so happening and the art critic that they have on the the paper stirs up so much drama yes that people just want to read about art so they need yes. more art writers but not to critique art just to be like there was an art and I, I went to it. I did not understand how so much <laughs> art could be so prevalent in this town. That I was, was very like, confused. It's not a big city, right? It's like, I was confused by the size of this city. Me too. Like, it's definitely not like a Chicago. It's not It's not any of your well-known larger towns. But it is like a mid-sized Midwestern town that has hmm. 50 million art galleries. It is driving distance from New York. Mm-hmm. But a far enough driving distance that it would make sense to instead take a plane. Yes. So, like so six hours, Virginia, maybe? maybe. Yeah, maybe. No, that's Which not Midwest. Midwest. It's Midwest. Yeah. So it has to be. Are they talking about Ohio? Like it's Ohio. They say that later books they think are based off of a town in Michigan where the author mm. was living at the time of writing, but like. I don't think this first one is that because I think he moves to that town later. So this definitely felt like both in terms of the town and also some of the artists that the author didn't want to get sued and so yeah. didn't want to narrow it down. It's just like it's the this made up name I made up for this guy. That's not that's a famous artist. Like she occasionally mentions Picasso and stuff, mm-hmm. but there's also just a bunch of made up things and the yes. town itself is kind of doesn't seem like it's anchored in any one place no. or size <laughs> it just exists in a, a nebulous town <laughs> yeah they never name it and the paper is called the flux so yeah like the say? daily flux or something i think yeah. which that just sounds like what you do in the morning after drinking too much coffee <laughs> oop jokes <laughs> So he's on the art beat, but he's not critiquing the art. He's just writing about everything that has to do with not the way the art should be perceived. Human interest (laughs) stories, but for art. But for art. So, you know, whatever. Uh, Yeah. So as Em said, they have a current art critic who is very controversial. His name is George Bonifield Mount, Mount Clemens III. Um. And uh, he's very mean about the art uh, in town. And he has a very, like, he only likes, like, three artists. Um, one of them is a woman named Zoe Lambreth, who becomes a more important character. Uh, and an artist named Scarno, who um, just paints triangles. But the really about... good triangles. <laughs> the thing about Jim is he doesn't know shit about art. Um, he's like, I don't. I couldn't tell you any famous painting whatsoever, but I need a job and I will take this. Thank you. Things about Jim. Doesn't get art. Doesn't get art. Has a mustache. Yeah. That's it. This, this, this is, I'm glad you brought up his mustache because 
<laughs> I told you, I finished this book, I think, on Monday, and I talked to you, and I said, here's the thing about this book, is I think there's more than one furry sleuth in this book. One is the cat who could read mm-hmm. backwards. The other is Jim's mustache. Ah, I see. I see. The t- amount of times Jim is like... <laughs> His mustache. My mustache sense is tingling. His mustache twitched. Yes, his mustache talks to him. And he even, like, later on, he has a conversation in this book about with, with the mustache. George. And, and he's like, George is like, you know, cats are so um, perceptive and it's their whiskers. You know, they take in so much information through their whiskers and that's how they can read your thoughts with their whiskers. No, they which can't, is George. Fucking no, they can't. They're not they antenna. Can't do that. They're whiskers. <laughs> And and Jim is like, you know, George, ever since I grew this mustache, I swear I have the same powers. What does In that, all earnestness. And, and he's like, yes, probably. You're right. I. There were a lot of things in this book that I'm like, this might be tongue in cheek. Yeah. But I just can't tell. It's Are we not, laughing at Jim or with Jim? I yes. Don't know. Is he saying a joke because he thinks... <laughs> That the cat thing is silly, and so he's trying to say something silly yeah. to prove how silly the cat thing is, or does he genuinely believe this? There is no way of it knowing. It is so dry. It and is impossible the, to tell. <laughs> the narrative would imply that we are to believe that this is the truth, because yes, it does tell us every time his mustache tingles or twitches or, you know, <laughs> has a hunch. His mustache felt nervous. <laughs> his, his mustache yearned for the touch of a woman. <laughs> It was a lot. <laughs> I was like, you can't, you can't say shit about all the artists in this made-up small town if your main character is going around believing his mustache has magical properties. <laughs> it was also kind of one of those things where I was like, is this just the times? Like, did we not fully understand that cats weren't psychic? Was that in the sixties? How did people 60s, view cats? Did people think cats maybe were a little bit psychic? Like that doesn't—that's not the most outlandish thing for people to legitimately believe in the sixties, right? Right. There I was a lot not. of stuff people were legitimately believing in the sixties that was very silly in retrospect. But I'm not sure. It, I, it's, it's very hard to, it's say, hard to if, say if if we are supposed to be reading this going, ah, yes, of course, the cat has X. Uh, the cat has ESP or if we're supposed to be reading it going on <laughs> these silly art folks thinking the cat has ESP journalists like, I can't man tell. I tell ya <laughs> um, <laughs> mustache aside I, I also did think it was very interesting to see how journalism has changed since the 60s mm. where they had like press clubs where they would go and members of the press could only enter and eat their meals and there's a bartender and stuff and like they would have, um, you know, company cars. And I don't know. It was just like people people cared a lot more about journalists then. Yeah. Sad. Also, though, on the negative side, journalists way more willing to work with cops. Yeah. Than I would say they are yeah. now. <laughs> that is true. So, you know, some positive, some negatives, I guess. <laughs> uh, so um the first story that Jim is put in charge of is to try and get this, um, uh, an interview with a famous advertising person named Cal Halepe, who like is becoming famous in the art world for his basically like Norman Rockwell style paintings of children with curly hair and rosy cheeks doing shit. I don't know. They never explained what the paintings were beyond that. 
Yeah, there was a lot with Mr. Halepe that, like, I don't even know if seemed... that's his name. I think it is. I'm going to go with it because you said it and I'm not going to look it up. Um, <laughs> it like seemed like name. it would lead into the mystery in some way. But he basically had nothing to do with the mystery. And also, I don't think he ever finished writing the, the like, piece on him. Right? Yeah, no, he never he never wrote it. Um, I I don't know is if, if this book is just setting up like more going to be all the players in the next few books. Yeah. But we did get introduced to so many shady, suspicious people, and then spoiler alert: the the real the real perpetrator of the crime here is not a character in the book at all. Well, half of it, C- kind of. I mean, because the, the first because there's three murders. Yeah. And well, three only, deaths. I think one was. That's why I said murders yeah. in that fashion. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> murders. Uh, and one of them we know who the mur- Like we were introduced to the murderer. Yes. The other two. No. <laughs> <laughs> it was a very frustrating mystery. It was. Um, yes. <laughs> so he goes and tries to get. This I just in- love when a character you haven't told me existed shows up to. It shows up Either. at the end, and they're like, yep, you couldn't have guessed this one, because I, I made it impossible <laughs> yeah. to do so. Yes, you're right. I couldn't have. Wow, Lillian, you really got us. <laughs> you really got us. Um, So he tries to interview this guy, but he's like, the guy is like, this. his whole thing is he's 29, and he looks like a baby, and he is, Jim finds out, like, oh, he's just painting versions of himself, um, and that kind of becomes a whole thing. Like artists just paint themselves or whatever. Mm-hmm. Is, is this is an important, um, an important thing to understand, to solve the mystery. <laughs> and yeah. Yeah. Because a robot, <laughs> because, you know, we can see what these characters look like. And so we should have known that <laughs> we should have known who was the killer. Right. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, so he tries to interview this guy, but the guy is like, he's impossible to nail down. And he just like kind of goes off on tangents, doesn't answer any questions. Um, and then invites Jim out to some big gala thing that they're having for the art world here in small town USA. And through him or through that introduction, Jim meets all of the other major players of the book. So we have Halipage, uh, not Jim, Cal and his wife, Sandy, Sandra, Sally. I I think it's Sandy because I think it was Sandra, and she says, "Call me Sandy." Okay. And also, the way that she is described is just <laughs> she's exotic, awful. but I think she's still white. And she's still white, but she <laughs> d- often dresses in a way that underlines how she may appear to be Asian, but they don't use the word Asian. No, um, they use the, the one that describes rugs. <laughs> but she's white though but also she's white and also they've redone their whole house in the in a japanese style to match yeah, his wife and wore kimonos to the masquerade ball gala thing but she's white right <laughs> it's so weird it's bizarre and i think we're supposed to i think we are supposed to see that as weird to some extent but at the same yeah. time the monologue, the internal, the narration, still is the one that says that his wife looks Asian, right? It's not him that says that. It is the narration. Yes. So 
some of it is like look at these silly people who are redesign who are so rich they can just redesign their house to match what their wife looks like but i to do still think that I, that's I literally know. what they say I know, at one I know. point it's just so funny hearing you say it in this way <laughs> it's really weird but the the narration also is like but yes you do look asian though like (laughs) what i mean she looks asian so you know it's all right even though they say she like exaggerates her makeup to have almond shaped Mm -hmm. eyes it's fine it's fine um so there are two people in town all sandy does is like flirt with jim um and he likes it but you know She's a married woman, so what are you going to do about that, Jim? He meets this other couple named Zoe and Earl Lambreth, which I was confused because for, like, 90% of this book, I thought he was an Earl. An Earl, <laughs> yes. I I did not think that. I did at one point go, huh, I wonder if they mean Earl. No, it's just his name. <laughs> so I, did, yeah, I did have that thought. I forgot thought. Earl could just be someone's name. Yeah, like, and especially name. in the U.S. Yeah. <laughs> And like, you oh, may yes, remember the Earl of Lambeth. <laughs> and you may remember eagle eagle-eared listeners yeah. have remembered Anna saying Zoe Lambeth earlier was mm-hmm. one of the artists that yeah. George the critic is cool with. Yes, um, George loves Zoe and Zoe's beautiful too. Um and a bit of a flirt. A bit of a flirt. Jim is immediately attracted to her. Uh, her husband's a bit of a stick in the mud, but they own a gallery that seems to be doing really well, which is a very important detail about them. Is they own an art gallery, uh, and it's in the financial district of this huge, small Midwestern town, and they don't put prices on their paintings, but stuff normally sells for like five or six figures. It's a big deal, especially in 1966 money. And George the Critic, Loves all everything. of the artists that he likes are in this gallery. Yes. Zoe... Scarno and this guy whose name is Nino. It's not Nino two one zero, which I was I thought it was gonna be. It's like Nino two three five four something something. Yeah, but he goes by Nino, and he makes sculptures out of, uh, like just trash stuff he finds it's laying a, around. A, yeah, he's a found materials a, artist. Yeah, yeah, that's a good way. But yes, that is that is a nice way to say it. Jim is obviously like as someone who is not enmeshed in the art world at all. He seems to have a very, like, wow, modern artist, stupid view on things also. Something, uh, an opinion that seems to be shared by a lot of the kind of more salt of the earth, like, relatable characters mm-hmm. is, yes, that that modern art is trash and it should be pictures that look like things that you can recognize and sculptures that look like things that you can recognize and doing mm-hmm. sculptures out of metal is no good. Um, yeah, found art, down. found art's no good. Uh, these weird triangles, like don't really get it except for the one that he is like, I do love that triangle though. I like that triangle. Cause it looks like a sailboat. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, uh, versus kind of all of these other George is uh, team more abstract it seems but then also mm-hmm. you have Zoe who does seem to do realistic paintings mm-hmm. she just like she's literally express herself with more yeah she's style. literally doing portraits of George's cat mm-hmm. so that's why he like, loves her this is the level 
yeah. this is the one this is the one type of art that they like that isn't modern art maybe that's why he liked the triangles is because they were like cat ears maybe <laughs> um so we meet all these artists and we also meet george who is the other critic Jim goes to have lunch with him. George is a very good chef and he uh, kind of charms Jim a little bit into like buys into this whole like, oh, you know, I'm this lonely guy who has to separate myself from the world because I'm a critic and I can't let my I can't have relationships with artists because of that. And so I have no friends, but I love my art. Like Jim's kind of taken in by this whole vibe um, and they become friends. And he also George has a cat named Coco, who is a Siamese cat. It's it, the the cat is named after a Chinese artist um, whose name I am not seeing, Kao Kokung, but they call the cat Coco for short, um, I guess to make it palatable for 1960s uh, American audiences. Well, and, and again, you have this this repeated thing of the people who are good and normal and salt of the earth call the cat Coco. Yes. But and George artists. and Zoe call him his full name. Yes. And it, it is kind of this, again, just, oh, artists are so full of shit. And also, probably there's some some uh, thing to be said there about um, things from outside of the U.S. being yes. bad sort of vibes. Yeah. Um, very concerning. <laughs> You know, it was in the height of the Red Scare. Right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, but they basically, for the first 40% of this book, Jim walks around town, gets to know all of the artists, and waxes poetic about this cat who can do no wrong and also has so many skills, such as being able to read newspaper headlines, but reading them backwards. Frankly, my favorite parts of this book were when Jim was like, enthralled and, by and then the, the cat, cat did this like it's like oh my gosh it was so cool the cat jump like, and i'm like yeah the press club and tells all of his journalist friends all about the cat and they're just like uh-huh uh-huh gotcha. yeah it's a cat my guy and then i made up a game named sparrow where he bats at this ball of paper i've tied to a piece of string and i'm keeping score and the score is like 400 to 500 like how long have you been playing this with the cat gem if the score got that high <laughs> Okay. He's just having a great time with this cat. He's just enjoying his first interactions with a cat. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the first 40% of this book. And then a murder happens. Um, the first victim is the owner of the gallery, Earl Lambreth. Zoe's no, not Earl. The Earl. The Earl died. I said, and then they, I was like, no one's making a big deal out of an Earl dying. <laughs> This should be like who who gets who gets to take over his title? Who's the suddenly, new Earl of Lambreth? Suddenly the Queen arrives, Your Majesty. <laughs> I Jim, you will solve this crime. <laughs> or heads will roll. Um so the basically his wife Zoe went to the office, went to the gallery at 7 p.m., found her husband's dead body. The whole gallery was like torn up. Um, paintings and sculptures were destroyed, especially ones that b depicted the female form, which kind of seemed mm. to be a red herring, but it's something Jim noticed. Um, and then also missing from the gallery was a painting that Earl um, had been keeping. It was half of a famous artist's like last painting or something that in, in the war it got destroyed and torn in half. He has the 
half of the painting with a ballerina on it and the and the artist's signature and he knows that the other half of the painting should have a monkey on it and he's been searching for it because it would be worth $150,000 and it was his dream to become rich but he never found the other half of the painting and now it's missing. So Jim is like, ah, someone murdered him to get the painting because they knew it was really valuable. Here's where if I was Jim and not a dumb piece of shit, I would have been like, this whole setup seems really sketch. Why is he this concerned with this one painting and getting rich off of this when he owns this gallery that routinely sells things for five or six figures? Seems odd. Seems Seems like maybe... That's something you should look into. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Also, that was another issue with the whole mystery of this was it wasn't really Jim or the cat doing anything to figure anything out as much it, as it was Jim going to different locations and things just happening around him yes. that happened to solve he the mystery. He never did anything of his own volition. It was just like, ah, another person come up came up to tell me some clues. And anytime he got a clue, he immediately gave it to the police. Yeah. So it honestly seems like his involvement in this was just being a middleman for clues. <laughs> uh, yeah. Who can say? Who can say? Um, so <laughs> Jim goes to Zoe and he's like, first of all, he's like, how soon can I move in on this woman? Like, how soon is too soon is number one in his mind. Uh, and and he's then like, he's, it seems like Zoe hated her husband and she's wearing purple. She and, dressed up and, real sharply. Yeah. So it's probably fine if I hit on her, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which to his credit, it pretty much was. Yeah. Yeah. She seemed <laughs> open to that. Um, she was not really her marriage kind of fizzled out. Right. Um, and it was, you know, a time when women couldn't divorce their husbands. So mm. <laughs> do with that what you will, I guess. Um, also of note is that Zoe was often noticed to be flirting with George, uh, the art critic. Um, And so the police are like, oh, George is probably the one who did the murder then. And Jim is like, "Uh -uh." uh-uh. First of all, I forgot to mention, Jim Jim and George become roommates. Um, Mm. He moves in. He offers him a place to stay because up until now, Jim has been living in a hotel. And so then he's like, hey, I have have an apartment you can rent for me for $50 a month. and uh, it's you just have to like do me some favors sometime, like watch my which, cat and buy me a plane ticket that will give me a very nice alibi for this murder. Which everyone is is like, oh, you better watch out. He's going to make you cat sit. Number one, this man is in love with the cat. So he yeah. obviously would be fine with that. Jim is trying to figure t- out how to make the cat his own cat. <laughs> right. Number two. If someone, they say that $50 is really low even for the 60s, and I'm not going to look up what the conversion is. It was is. $433. I did. Okay. Look it up. I was curious. <laughs> okay. So if someone offered me uh, an apartment for $433 a month, fully yeah, furnished, okay. fully furnished. Right. Like I'm going to, I'm going to cast at the shit of that cat. Absolutely. Like, I don't know how much journalists made in the 60s, but I'm going to look it up though. Right now, our favorite segment, we Google things. Um, uh, average salary in the 1960s for a full-time male worker was $5,400. So take out, what, $600 a year for rent? It's pretty sweet. That's that's awesome. Can I have that, please? So um, 
Yeah, so George George was in New York City at the time of the murder, and Jim knows this because he bought the plane ticket, and they verified with the airlines, yes, George was on the plane at the time of the murder. So it couldn't have been George that did the murder. Great. Great. Um, so even though, even though Zoe was flirting with him, she does later reveal that the reason she flirted with George all the time was because, um, she wanted to stay in his good graces because he wrote good things about her in the newspaper and she wanted their gallery to continue to make money. So she was, uh, essentially doing it for her own personal gain and had no intention of pursuing a relationship with George at any moment. I so. also question that because of what we learn about the gallery. Because yes. then it doesn't make sense, right? Yes. So might have been poor writing. Might have been like she's lying about this. I don't know. That's the thing um, about Zoe is like she's this this beautiful, wily woman. Because none of the women in here are like good. Yeah, they're they're all terrible. Mm-hmm. Like even uh, Zoe has well, a friend named Butchie. Who I was like say, a, Butchie is actually she's okay, she's okay, and she's she's vindicated in the end. But the author hates her. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> because guess what? Butchie is like a larger woman who who welds for a living. She's a welding sculptor, uh, and she teaches at the college. And she's not married, uh, so you know there's got to be something wrong with her, right? And at one point, they all decide that Butchie has a crush on Zoe. Because Zoe's like, she's my old friend. I can't cut her out. Whatever. That's why I called her up first. Mm-hmm. Number one, at that point in the book, like after her husband is murdered and Butchie shows up at her house, my assumption was that George is having an affair with the husband and Butchie was having an affair with the wife. I was like, I, I thought, yeah, you, everyone's all gay. sleeping with everybody. Yeah. I was like, this is all gay, but it can't possibly be. This book is from the 60s and I haven't heard about it as being like a you know outstanding early rep for queer people so i don't think that's it and it wasn't but butchie is indicated to to be maybe attracted to zoe and that's just ugh, disgusting mm-hmm. um butchie herself never confirms this neither does zoe zoe's not like well she's had a crush on me zoe's she just kind of says, like i want butchie to go away <laughs> yeah she's like my husband didn't really like her and um i mean you know she's my friend and i can't cut her out and it would be awkward but we have nothing in common yeah but also zoe lies about shit so i don't zoe know how she everything. really feels about butchie but how does she even really feel about jim no one can say probably they kind bad. of like go on a couple of like kind of dates but maybe only in jim's know. mind are they dates like she comes over to be like i just need someone to talk to and jim's like mm, i better i better get this bitch some chocolate chip cookies <laughs> but she's like i don't eat those yeah she's <laughs> like i don't need sugar because it's the 1960s and i'm an attractive woman <laughs> okay um so the next uh earl dies very sad but then there's like this event happening at the art school called a happening which is basically just like a very um, immersive experimental art experience. Like things, he basically the way Jim ex- explains it is like he just goes and art kids are doing weird art shit. Um, and that's fine. But the thing that happens here is that Nino, who's the one that makes the, the what did you call it? The found? Found materials. Found materials. Yes, he makes the found material sculpture. Um, he is like, he has something really high up on a scaffolding and people are doing something that are going to, is going to make the art fall off. And Nino goes to reach for it. And then he falls off and dies. Um, 
up on the scaffolding with him is Butchie. And I guess Jim just has murder on the mind because he's like, I think Butchie pushed Nino off the scaffolding because Nino is one of Zoe's um, protégés and she's jealous because she's in love with Zoe. Um, Because who wouldn't be? Because she's hot and doesn't eat sugar. (laughs) So 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 now there's two deaths, one of which is a murder for sure, and one of which is maybe a murder made to look like an accident. Jim is like, again, he's coming he's coming from a very like a crime background, so he's like trying to put things together and work with the cops on this, but is kind of proven to um, be overthinking these. So he's like, hey, that missing painting, where is it? We got to track it down. And then they like get a tip that like, oh, hey, we found the painting. It was just like in a vault and he's like oh okay. there's also this whole thing with the art museum in town and their whole oh yeah tiff they're all mad George. at george and then eventually and there's like a missing knife but also the knife isn't missing and it seems like he just published some libel about this museum at one point and no one is gonna really resolve that it's fine yeah um yeah it, it there there were a lot of it, it feels Which, wrong to call them red herrings because yeah and it again, if this is a satire, maybe that's the point. It's right. Like, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> it was very, like, annoying to read about, though. Yes. Because we spent so much time at the museum thinking about this missing knife, and it didn't even... We kept okay. coming back to Butchie, and I'm just like, babe, Leave it's Butchie not alone. Butchie. Leave she her alone. <laughs> She's just existing as a plus-sized woman. <laughs> Leave her be. She's welding, Please. and that's badass. So then Jim goes home and Coco is there waiting for him, Coco the cat. And the cat is like, hey, Jim, come upstairs. I got something to show you. And Jim is like, okay. And the cat leads Jim out to the fire escape where he finds the body of George dead. Sad. The cat seems unbothered mostly, just was kind of like, hey, look at this thing. So, um... Jim obviously he reports this to the police he has them come over um he spends a lot of quality time now with Coco who it he keeps telling Coco and himself I think that like George had a sister in Milwaukee and so all of this the house all of his belongings the art and the cat will probably all go to Milwaukee with the sister but by the end of this book it's just kind of like okay this is this is Jim's cat and this isn't really resolved at the end of the book so who knows if these two will end up staying together um further on in the series i mean i would assume since the fact that all of the other 700 books are called the cat who or the cat that is probably the same cat but maybe not maybe it's just a different cat every time (laughs) it is a league of cats yeah magical cats who've come to guide jim every time he investigates a murder there's a cat involved i don't know jim is able to tap into star clan yeah it's spotted leaf that's what it is that's what it is um so then he goes and he has he takes zoe out to lunch at the press club or whatever and zoe then because she's been like revealing these little tidbits of information like piece by piece uh in a way that also kind of makes jim a little bit suspicious a little bit later on in the book but but the information that zoe drops this next time that the two of them have a meal is that hey um so remember how i told you that i was flirting with george all the time well, also, this thing I have to tell you is that um, we didn't own the gallery. 
actually George owned the gallery and he wrote favorable articles about all of the artists that were featured in his gallery and bad ones about everyone that didn't uh, submit their art to his gallery. And also he was cooking the books. Like there's a reason there was no price tags on anything because we would say one price and then report a different amount and then the rest of that money we just took. Uh, And the reason why this all came to a head is because Earl heard about all this gossip where I was flirting with George. I got back to him. And so he told, I told him like, hey, this is the reason I'm doing it. I'm doing it because I want my art to be popular. And so Earl then went to George and was like, hey, leave my wife alone. She's not going to leave me for you. Leave her alone or I'll expose your shady business practices. Um, And this amount of fraud would have put George in jail. So Zoe's like, I think George killed Earl. And maybe someone else used his plane ticket. I don't know. But there's a lot of weird things adding up here. And then Jim goes home to think about this. And he's like, well... You can never trust abroad, but, and George was my bro. I knew him for like a week, but I just don't think he could murder anybody. I think George killed my husband, Earl. I think you killed your husband, Earl. Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So then he thinks about that for a long time. And then Coco finally comes back into play where one night, um, Coco, the cat leads Jim to this secret room where he finds like this abandoned art studio in the apartment in a room that he had just never been in before. Um, and there are some paintings there, uh, by Scrano, which is the triangle artist that we mentioned earlier. There was also an earlier, or maybe this is the same time. Was I don't there know. Another? They, he goes yeah. in there twice. Like once. There's a. There's yeah, lots yeah, of paintings, okay. And then the next yeah. time the paintings are missing. So it's Oh, like, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. It doesn't really. It doesn't matter. This whole mystery doesn't matter because the reveal of the murders. <laughs> you didn't have to read any of the rest of the book. You didn't. Um so then he also sees these paintings of robots um <laughs> with the signature O Narks. Now <laughs> Yes, it should be obvious now, but if it's not, um, there, this is I will not, say it wasn't obvious to me, but it, I'm oh, stupid. In, in audio, it's a little bit more. Cause uh, I, yeah. In the book, it's spelled with an X oh. instead of a, a tricky, like, tricky. Scrano is S-K-R, I think, and then mm-hmm. Onarks ends R-X. So, gotcha. Yeah. Um, we, <laughs> we were not introduced to this character at all. Uh, but there is an artist named Oscar Narks, and he paints robots. And his paintings are here in a room with Scrano's stuff, who George really loved and had been working on an article before his murder about how there would be no more Scrano's paintings because the artist is retiring. There's also in this room the monkey half of the picture. Yes. And when he tells Zoe about this, they're like, oh probably he killed him to get the ballerina half so there's two reasons why george would have killed earl because he offered to buy it and you know earl was like no i'm holding out for that monkey um Mm. so yeah there's just stacking up that you know george had a motive here george had a motive um 
but as 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 uh what's his name jim is 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 exploring this room uh a mysterious figure enters and tries to attack jim with a knife but coco the cat saves his life by jumping on this mysterious person and then jim is able to grab a flashlight and hit narcs or sorry (laughs) the mystery person over the head with the flashlight and they arrest him and then we get this chapter that's just him explaining to all of the other newspaper boys about what went down so this is what happened boys (laughs) (laughs) come here my newspaper lads let me tell you (laughs) so here's how jim put it all together in that moment so he saw the the robot paintings done by narcs and he noticed that the same paint texture was used in the triangle paintings of Scar- Scranos. Also, Coco was reading Narx's signature backwards, so he's like, ah, I'm... <laughs> the cat's trying to tell me, look at the name backwards, Scranos. But, like, but like oh, we've already established that the cat reads backwards in general because, as they put it, it's a he's a Siamese cat, and that's a Siamese thing. He which reads I from assume- right to I assume it's just a reference to the fact that like most most Asian uh, writing systems go right to left instead of left to right. Yeah. Like, I what? Um, yeah. That's what? Uh, so so why? So that shouldn't have told him anything because that's just how the cat always reads. Oh my god. <laughs> um. So basically, George was instructing Scrano slash Narks on how to paint. Uh, and because George was a, a painter and he had lost his arm. This was established earlier. Whatever. Yeah, I forgot. He's got a fakey hand. It doesn't. <laughs> this whole mystery <laughs> pissed me off. He's a sad painter boy who can no longer paint. So he gets his his bad painter friend to do the painting for him because he can do it technically. He just doesn't have just enough imagination. Yeah, to he paint only triangles. Robots. He, he paints robots, not triangles. It's himself. He's just a robot doing George's. And bidding. also, he looks like the robot in the painting, also, which is how Jim recognized him because he's like artists always put themselves in the painting wild look at this metallic man who's entered the room <laughs> there was also like in one of the zoe's paintings of the cat he's like yes she put a mean look in that cat's eyes because zoe is mean the cat is not mean the cat is perfect i love my cat uh so um zoe was correct george did kill earl this is this is part of what's revealed quill uh sorry i keep calling him quill but his name is also jim jim quill he goes by both um, I started calling him Jim and then I wanted to switch to Quill, but thought that would be confusing for everybody. Does he, That's why is it pronounced both. Quill? Yeah. Quillerin. Oh, okay. Quillerin. Yeah. I, Quill, I thought Quillerin. that I was like, I thought it was Scottish. I didn't know they chopped off all those letters. Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, so <laughs> I've lost my train of thought. George did kill Earl. What he did was he had his little secret buddy, Narks, get on the plane for him and fly to New York City to do the thing he needed to do in New York City. He kills Earl. Upon killing Earl, George then begins to write this article where he's saying there will be no more Scranos paintings. Narks catches on to this, doesn't like that, kills George. Narks realizes that this is all going down because he calls... Uh, 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 the Earl and is like the Earl of Lambeth, and the Earl's like, "Hey, 
we need to load or he they're like they need to load stuff into the station wagon and the earl's like well there's already a station wagon here isn't that your station wagon the station wagon's right here but george was the one driving the station wagon Mm -hmm. so then he's like why was george over there doing this this is sketchy yeah, I don't know why. I don't know why he made that big leap. That was right. <laughs> but apparently that's what happened. That's what, yeah, that's what happened. Uh, literally only in the last two chapters do we hear anything about this Narcs character. And then um, we learn that Butchie actually hurt herself trying to save Nino. So she is, uh, she's been um, exonerated. Exonerated. Just was trying to be a good person. Another um, victory for queer women. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> Zoe wanted to kill Earl, maybe. Or no, she wanted to kill George, maybe, but never followed through with it was the other thing um, that was kind of revealed. Like, Zoe could have killed George and had reason to kill George, but never could never do it. She's just a weak-willed woman. And then Jim gets home, and he's like, hey, Coco, are you actually really smart and helping me solve this mystery, or are you just a cat and I'm looking into this too much? And... To no surprise at all, Coco does not answer because it is a cat. And then the book ends. No, he does answer. He does not. He does. Because the he cat takes... gets up and says, yes. No, listen. <laughs> listen. I only noticed this because it was highlighted a lot in Kindle. So it got underlined. Okay. okay. When he's first introduced to the cat, uh-huh. he's like, uh, uh, George is like, you can tell when a cat thinks you're fucking stupid because it will take this particular pose. And then at the end of the book, the cat takes that particular pose. So the cat is like, you're a, you're an, uh, you're a moron. The cat is telling telling the main character that the cat that the yeah, main character Jim, is so dense. Stupid. Yeah, that's what's happening. That's his response. It's like I love it. <laughs> see, that does make it a little bit better. That does make it a little bit better. This is kind of a paranormal <laughs> thing. Kind of a warrior cat follow up. Or this was a possibly meow meow just. Possibly just how they thought cats worked in the 60s. I don't yeah, know. We don't know if you were alive in the 60s. Uh, oh, man. Um, cool. Well, no, uh, what do we want? No, it wasn't. What do we want from what do you cats? Want? This is your No, unit. not cats. Um, what do you want from cats? Okay. Between the two, cats and dogs, I think I prefer cats. Uh-huh. But I would prefer a third animal. Yes. A third secret animal. Yes. Um, what could it be? I would love to have a female lead also. Yes. Mm-hmm. So let's look for one of those. I feel like there's plenty. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else. Are you else. still interested in doing like all animal cast? Yeah. If that exists, I'd love to do that. That would be way fun. I think I would probably enjoy that more than. Um, these various this bumbling human with yes this trope of like humans don't understand how to mystery (laughs) (laughs) it's just very silly to me um i would much rather if we're just in a red wall situation all right but i don't know if that exists like a a hard boiled red wall i've been sitting on a book for months now ever since you announced ever since you announced this unit i had a book (laughs) And, uh, fantastic it's everything you want but you don't get to find out this week what it is oh well i look forward to that yeah me too um i'm, I'm so thrilled <laughs> and it's traditionally mm, published so like we can dunk on it all we want <laughs> amazing what a gift what a gift uh next week 
we will be talking cat Meow. with actually no we might be talking titanic talking titanic talking berg <laughs> talking berg with uh the first of the titanic series by <laughs> gordon corman unsinkable yeah uh, where is gordon corman taking us next week you won't be able you to will guess. never guess you will never except guess for, except for the one friend and listener that i did spoil what happens because i just needed to explain it to someone it was wild <laughs> it was truly <laughs> truly cursed so that one person <laughs> don't don't respond in our for, to our query yeah. next week yeah uh, um or do just to us personally the week after that we're starting a new submitted unit and this is kind of an interesting one because it was we submitted don't know what shape this, these episodes will take yes and it was also submitted twice because um sam who uh, I mentioned a couple weeks ago suggested that one book had actually suggested that we do this like a year ago and we sort of talked about it and we're like I don't think it would work um, and then your husband suggested it um, mm-hmm. again a few months ago your and because we husband <laughs> Anna's husband and because we listen to men more than women obviously, obviously. Um, we took it seriously especially this time, one I guess. has some sort of ownership over me <laughs> gross, gross. Um, <laughs> anyway they both suggested that we read choose your own adventure books yeah and it'll be interesting to see how we handle this um <laughs> i haven't decided yet if i'm just gonna do i when i die that's it or if i'm gonna try and get them all <laughs> i think i'm just gonna read it cover to cover <laughs> <laughs> it'll be an interesting discussion that is for certain <laughs> um but we are of course starting out with a choose your own adventure book that is close to our heart absolutely um, because it's an Animorphs book. Did you guys know they had Choose Your Own We're Adventure Animorphs book? I feel like they did. did because we talked yeah, about it. We did. Um, but we're going to be reading the first Alternomorph, which is called The First Journey. And again, what do we mean by reading? Not sure. We don't haven't know. decided. We'll we see. We don't know. Um, but yeah, tune in to find out with us. <laughs> yeah. In the meantime, if you have any books or units you'd like for us to cover on the podcast, either because you think we would love them or hate them, you can tweet at us at ShelfAwareCast or email us ShelfAwareCast at gmail.com. As always, thank you to Ben Cope for the use of our theme song. You can check out his YouTube channel in our show notes below. We are also on all of your favorite podcast aggregating platforms. So if you haven't followed or subscribed to us on one of those, you definitely should. Otherwise, um... Otherwise, I'm going to write a scathing critique of you in the in the local small town newspaper. And you'll mm. be heartbroken and want to murder me. And you'll never get the contract. You'll never get the, the thing that you wanted so bad that made you yeah. do a murder. Um, if you use Apple Podcasts or Spotify, we'd very much appreciate a five-star review. But if you don't, that's all right. Because you are allowed to talk about us anywhere on the internet you like. Trying to pull up a... I was say, there's there's plenty. This book was rife with quotes that were just absurd. Um, <laughs> in the words of Lillian Jackson Braun, then he noticed a copy boy feeding yellow pencils into a small moaning contraption. Quilleran stared at the thing. An electric pencil sharpener. He had never thought it would come to this. Why? What? <laughs> Truly just anything that didn't exist when he was 20 years old is, is trash. <laughs> electric pencil sharpener. The end times here in journalism. <laughs> uh, 
No, that was the internet, my friend. <laughs> also, though, so let me think. If we are saying that that rent is low and that rent is like 400 so let's say a normal rent would be like three times that mm-hmm. so it'd be 150 so 150 a year um or 150 a month hold on one sec let me do some math 150 times 12 so eighteen thousand, and you're saying the average wage is five thousand mm-hmm. eighteen hundred probably is what you meant Yes, eighteen hundred, five thousand. So, yeah, you would have three thousand two hundred left over mm-hmm. after rent, which just seems like percentage-wise, that is not currently the case. Yeah, you know, like I'm just like, dang, dang, yeah. inflation and and uh, uh, wages not going up really did do a number on us, didn't it? It sure did. Yeah, fifty four hundred dollars in nineteen sixty is equivalent in purchasing power to about fifty five thousand dollars today. Okay, so well. if you take that four hundred and thirty three dollars a month, yeah. uh, it's still, it's, yeah, yeah. Anyway, this I hate is, living today. It's miserable. I hate living in precedented times. I wish I lived in the nineteen sixties and couldn't Do get you? a Do you? and couldn't get a divorce <laughs> without my husband's permit. Oh wait, no, hold on, <laughs> hold on. <laughs> I think we just, there was like maybe a five or six year sweet spot in our lifetimes that would have been good to live in. And then we passed it. (laughs) Now it sucks. We breezed right by it, didn't we? (laughs) Yeah, we didn't, we didn't appreciate it while we had it. Um. (laughs) 